First, I want to just um, say how thankful I am for people like Mark Price, John Beck, and other friends I have that allow me to personally come to them and share of my struggles, my emotional struggles. And I don't know if all you guys know, but before coming to Christ and just a little while after, I was in heavy drug addiction. And, and I grew up a, a, a very emotionally isolated person. And, and I didn't know how to open up and share what was inside of me. And I think about that movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, where he's flying in an airplane and, and everything's all good. He's a family man. And he wrecks on this island and when he's going through some supplies to find out how to survive he found finds a volleyball and he puts a bloody handprint on the volleyball and because he's all alone that becomes his friend and and that's a a perfect picture of how we need one another i know that was a volleyball and it wasn't really a person but i've read stories of people who have been locked in isolation for, for long periods of time, and they would actually fabricate other people to have that human interaction. Now, this is an extreme version of, of what we're going to talk about today, because there's a lot of us who can feel that complete aloneness and isolation while in a group of people, while sitting in an entire group of people, or even with our families or with our friends, at the grocery store, be there with people, but still feel alone. Even, even have conversations, but still feel all alone and like no one understands. And, and that's the kind of aloneness that we're going to talk about today. Our text this morning is Genesis 2:15 through 18a. But I'm going to work right through it all the way to 25. But we're going to focus on 2.18a. So this is after creation, or or, I'm sorry, during creation on the sixth day. It's basically a close-up of of God creating um, humanity, people, mankind. And during creation, God says it is good. It is good about everything. But there's one thing that he says it's not good. And that's what we're going to talk about. So it says, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. That's going to be our, our, our main verse for today. The rest of the context kind of, context kind of puts it in the area of marriage, but if we look and pull this principle out that God said it's not good that we be alone. We can see that single people need people too. We need emotional attachment. Even as children, we need emotional attachment to our parents because when we suffer emotional abandonment, there are costs that we will suffer all our life until we deal with that loss and grief. And the Lord said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, a lot of times people will take this verse and say, well, I'm the husband, I'm the Adam, and my wife is my helper. But I think as we go through this message, we'll see that we're helpers to one another. That, that friends and people who are in the body of Christ, we actually help one another and bear one another's burdens. So, verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed 
out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I can kind of imagine Adam, while the animals were being created and he was naming them, trying to make friends with like a horse, you know, and, and trying to get that emotional connection and maybe riding the horse around. It was cool and fun. And maybe he found a cat and he was like, I don't like cats because he's like me. Uh, or he found a dog and, and there was a bond there. Uh, our oldest daughter, Zed, actually told me that our brains release a chemical that gives us comfort when we look into the eyes of a dog. So maybe he did all this and, and still there was no suitable helper found. And, and now, I want you to just imagine this is a, a, a perfect garden. Sin has not taken away and, and ravaged humanity. God is walking in perfect intimacy with man. And, and he still said it's not good that man should be alone. And they're looking for another person. Somebody like you and, and somebody like me to, to do life together. So, it says, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife as they become one flesh. When we're children, we are emotionally attached to our parents. That's who we go to for comfort. That's who we go to to share our, our pains and our struggles and, and help to work through those things and identify what those feelings are. You know, a child left alone will make a, a magical reality in their head. They will, they will formulate all these ideas of peanut butter makes me feel sad because I got in trouble for eating peanut butter sandwich. You know, that, that's just the way our mind works. And without other people, we, we can't actually, our brains won't integrate on a level that makes us healthy to understand what we're feeling and be able to voice those things. So it says that a man will leave his mother and father and be joined with his wife in one flesh. But if we take that out of the context that people will leave their mother and father, single people, we will lose our mother and father. We won't have emotional connection with our mother and father on a lot of levels. But we need people to do life with because God said it's not good that man should be alone. So Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I think about how Mark says they were naked. But, but it's really cool to me that they were, they were naked and they felt no shame. We'll get into that a little bit later. So I got a couple stories here of people who, um, and instances that, that might make us wall up emotionally and close off to the rest of the world. I know a man who, uh, when he was in his young adulthood, had a younger brother, and an accident happened. And the younger brother died. So this man took all that guilt and said, it's my fault. And he actually walled himself off from the rest of the world, never to deal with that pain again. And, and still, anytime anybody gets close, it's like, Ha! You know, it just put another brick in the wall and another brick in the wall. I think about that Pink Floyd song. It's just another brick in the wall. But it's not other people that do that. We actually build that wall ourselves to keep ourselves guarded from hurt 
that's on the outside, or, or we justify it by saying, I don't want to let anybody in because I'm going to hurt somebody else. I talked to this man not too long ago, and I asked him if he's got any friends where he's working at, and he said, nobody comes down the hall to my office. And he's in, in a late adulthood, and is still feeling that real deep alone feeling that a lot of us feel. What about a little girl who dreams, one day I'm going to be married to a, a knight in shining armor, and we're going to have a family, and we're going to have kids. But when she gets married, her husband cheats on her, tells her it's her own fault, and then runs off with somebody else. So this woman, in this instance, said, I'm not ever going to let anybody hurt me again. I'm going to build a wall around my heart, and nobody is ever going to get in there again. Nobody can hurt me if I build this wall. And that happens a lot of times, a lot more often than we might think. Maybe another instance is a, a boy who, who just couldn't measure up to, a boy or girl couldn't measure up to their mother and father's expectations. And so inside there was so much shame and they weren't able to deal with that. So they walled that person off. And on the outside is a, a man or woman who is successful and, and hangs all their achievements on the outside. But it's just an empty husk of a person on the outside. While all the rest of the shame and the issues that are, festering on the inside or aren't being dealt with. It, it happens all the time. All the time. And it, it's not only physical things that happen. Like we were talking earlier, a lot of people are uh, emotionally abandoned by their parents, especially in this busy world today. We've got all this stuff going on. We don't have time to sit and work with our kids through their emotional issues. And so on the inside, they feel unworthy to open up about these things like these these feelings aren't right and aren't good and even the church a lot of times will teach that if we're feeling depressed or angry we need to just pray more and we need to get in our bible more but we really we need to get in there and work through these issues it, our culture for men we, we're taught that a man's not supposed to be sad man's not supposed to cry you're supposed to be tough suck it up and, and even even women are taught just be tough suck it up and there is a point when we need to work through and move past it. And we're going to get into the, uh, distinguishing that a little bit more later on. But we all have feelings and emotions, and they are God-given. God gave us these emotions to connect with one another, to work with one another, to, to grow in emotional intimacy, and to share. And through that, God does so much. Brings us to our first point that it is okay to have hard feelings, but we must identify them and open up to find healing. This is the key. If I go home and, and I'm sad and I'm depressed and alone, but I come to church and I put on this other face and I say, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's okay. Then I'm, I'm basically, what we're doing is, walling ourselves off and, and hanging these signs on the outside of a wall or, or a mask that says that I'm good. Think highly of me. But that's not what it's about. God says it's not good to be alone. And, and I would argue that we can be alone and still be in a group of people. And a lot of us feel that a lot of times. 
a lot of times, often somebody will actually open up. They'll, they'll come to the church and they'll say, you know, I'm tired, I'm hurting. Maybe they were a believer as a kid, I'm ready to come back. And they open up and share of all this sin and just stuff that is piled up inside of them. And that church will run them off. And, and think about the hurt that that causes. And, and these people are all over, all over the South, hurt on the inside. And not wanting to open up because they don't want to get hurt again. It doesn't feel good to hurt. So we'll build a wall and put that false self on the outside. Oh, woe is me. Feel bad about me. This has happened. This has happened. It happens to leaders in the church a lot of times too. Uh, Pastors, deacons, all that. We're all subject to emotion and it's easy to feel like we're supposed to be at a higher standard. And for, for some part of it, I guess we are. But if we're not able to be transparent with our struggles and be accepted by one another and be brothers and sisters in this thing, it, it causes people to actually just shut off. And in that hurt and that pain being stored up inside, never working through it, other people get hurt. So... It's not only our culture of men teaching children or, or, or parents teaching children to not feel it. Technology aids this in a large way. When I was a kid, if you go to a dance or something and, and you're not out there in the middle, you're like a wallflower. You know, if, if since I was emotionally isolated, I, I would stay back from the crowd because I was ashamed of a lot of this stuff, a lot of who I was. I felt unworthy. And... People could know that and say, hey, you okay? But now we could just, you know, get on our phone and scroll. And it's totally accepted. And never really deal with the, the deep issues and have more shallow relationships like on Facebook. And, and there are a lot, of, a lot of issues that come from this lack of emotional intimacy. Which brings us to our second point. Drugs. Pornography, work, social media, gaming, and other addictions are ways to avoid emotional intimacy with people. My life, I was uh, brought up feeling very unworthy, very ashamed of who I was. And so I turned to drugs at a young age. And I was like, like you know that movie Jim Carrey with the mask? And, and in that movie, he is the, the scared guy in the room with the puppy dog. But when he puts on this mask, he's like, woo! And he's got his little pimp suit on and the Tommy guns and he's all around town and, and he's, he's free. And that's kind of how I was. But I never really dealt with these things on the inside of me. All this stuff that was festering, I would just take something that would inhibit all my feelings and I'd go out there and party and, and be part. I'm not a flower anymore. I was part of the crowd. Uh, casual sex. People who don't develop those deep relationships with other people. It's a way to get that physical human interaction, that, that Wilson volleyball, without having to deal with any of the, the real emotional ties of having a relationship with another person. We are created for relationships. We are relational beings. It is not good that we be alone. It's a, it's a biblical principle that we can see all over the world. People gather together over all kinds of reasons, even... People who don't want to be around anybody are sitting there saying, oh, I wish I had somebody. 
But due to our inability to work through those issues, they stay stuck. Work, um, for instance, a man whose family's falling apart and there's fear, there's hurt feelings, and there's frustration. And on the top, there's just anger. So without dealing with those real issues on the inside, the man just says, you know, I'm done. I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and that's going to be my success, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'm never, ever, ever going to deal with all these issues. Like I said, social media and gaming are are ways, other addictions. Food, food is something I use a lot because if I'm feeling stressed out, because of schoolwork or whatever, it's easy to go in the kitchen and get a cake because Katie's always got a cake in that refrigerator. And they're good, too. And they're really good. But these are ways of stuffing emotions to, to get instant gratification without having to deal with the real hurt on the inside. To get instant relief without really dealing with the pain. It's like taking Tylenol for something when you need antibiotics. It'll, it'll deal with the symptoms for a little while, but it'll really, it'll never really work on those internal issues. I am, I am grateful that I went through recovery, that God took me on the path I did. I wasn't instantly delivered from all that junk. I had to go through uh, treat, drug treatment, 12 steps. I, I attend Celebrate Recovery, which is a, a beautiful program that teaches us how to open up and share. Because a lot of us in the church, <clears throat> we don't know how to be that for people. We don't know how to listen without judging or trying to fix it. And, and, and we don't know how to do that. But I believe God is bringing his church to a place where there's going to be more people that are ready and willing to, to be that for people. We can't put it all on our pastor. Counselors are expensive. There are some real issues that people need to go to counselors for. That, that that's good and that's not a bad thing. And, and pastoral counseling is good and that's a good thing. But there's a lot of issues that we can actually work through with one another. If, if we are willing to do that. If we are willing to open up and find healing. There's some of the things that cause us to wall off are things like hurt, betrayal. You know, when a friend betrays us, we just say, I'm done with people. Rejection, fatigue and burnout is one one of the things that we can really, really suffer from when we work too much and we're dealing with stress. And instead of taking the time to slow down or work with somebody else, we just say, I'm just going to shut down and not deal with it, not have to cope. There's fear, hurt feelings, frustration, shame, and pride. Brings us to our next point. A person can be in a crowd and be totally alone if they choose to remain emotionally isolated. Genesis 2.18a says, it is not good to be alone. The goal here is emotional intimacy between two people. And one of the issues is shame. Shame and guilt. Like the the first man in the story had all that guilt. And so he walled himself off to be tormented all his life because of the things that he felt were his fault. The things that he felt like he had done that he is not worthy of. 
He's not worthy to open up. He's not worthy of companionship. Not anything real. Not anything deep. A lot of us feel that guilt. Especially if we've grown up in the church and we backslid and fell into sin and have never worked through that thing. We've got this guilt stored up in us that makes us so unworthy feeling. That we're ashamed of who we are. Or maybe like me lacked a structured home where there was a lot of encouragement and from a lot of the people I looked up to was really beat down told I was stupid and and, uh, was a mistake and stuff like that and so I never worked through those things didn't have anybody at the time to work through them with and I was very ashamed of who I was I, I was very much afraid of especially something like this when I first gave my life to Christ, I would shake and sweat just talking in a, front, a group of five people. You know, it, it, it's, it's wild the things that this shame and guilt can do. But working through it, working through it to find healing brings a lot of freedom. So in this, in this shame and this guilt and this feeling of not worthy, we actually treat others, teach others how to treat us. That's not in your notes, but that's something you might want to remember. We teach others how to treat us. If, if I allow somebody to talk down on me and rag on me, my spouse or whoever, without saying, that's not cool, that hurts my feelings, then I'm actually teaching them how to treat me. If I loan out stuff and it comes back broken all the time and I don't speak up about it, then I'm teaching that person that it's okay to use and abuse my stuff and my kindness and, and people actually will learn that and treat other people that way. And, and the solution here is, is, is the boundary setting, which means, hey, when you talk to me like that, when you call me stupid, I know you're joking, it hurts my feelings. Maybe one day we can joke about that, but it hurts my feelings. I want to ask if you won't do that. Or, hey, you know, you can't borrow any of my stuff right now. You, you keep on abusing it or keeping it for months and months and months and months. It, it's... it's it's, I'm going to set a boundary right here, and maybe we could build that trust over time. But as we grow, boundaries will change. Codependency will keep us from setting boundaries, which is, in, in my experience, tied to a lack of self-worth. And we're not going to go in depth about it. I think a, a whole series can be taught on that. But I'm going to tell you one thing codependency is not. Codependency is not caring about another human being. Codependency is not having empathy for another person. Codependency is when my emotional health and my joy, peace, and happiness are directly tied to how somebody else feels. And if I'm not feeling worthy of myself, or, or my, my issue is I'm a rescuer. I want to rescue people. So if I know people are hurting, it's like, oh, I can get in a bind. And if I'm not saving them on my own power, then, then my codependency kicks in. And, and for me, it's, it's really it's just a lack of, of trust in God and, and helping and praying somebody else through it. Pride. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud. Pride is, is basically a, a blanket to cover shame in, in its initial stages. If I'm ashamed and I can say I have nothing to be ashamed of with, without ever dealing with these issues... I am, I'm, a, a, I'm great at this. I've got, whatever, nice hair and 
la 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 la, and I've got a job, and look at me, then, then pride will actually cover and suppress that shame. I think that there's a stage of pride that moves into arrogance that people are actually in such denial that they cannot see that shame inside. But pride, pride is such a funny thing. It, it covers and masks it. It's, it's part of that false self. So if I am here with my shame and this wall is here, then in my pride, I can parade around this empty husk of a person that is it's this false me. It's only... Maybe a part of me. Maybe it's just my accomplishments without all the feelings and emotion tied in. And I have denied all that other internal stuff to a point of suppression to where I'm just walking in arrogance in my own strength. And pride will hurt other people really, really bad. One type of pride is the pride of boasting. That pride says, look at my accomplishments and look at, look at all these good things that I've done. Look at this service work I'm doing. Look at how much money I gave for charity. Accept me. Clap for me. Give me favor. That's the pride of boasting. There's, actually, there's also the pride of self-sacrifice. The pride of self-sacrifice says, Oh, I was treated bad as a child. Oh, my, my husband left me. Oh, I work all the time. The pride of self-sacrifice is just another way to keep people outside from getting into the real issues. The pride of self-sacrifice kind of parades like wanting to deal with the issues, but never really works through those eternal issues. It's the, oh, woe is me, pray for me all the time, but I don't ever want to work through my past and how I feel about these things. Pride is self-will. Pride is trying to do it on our own. Now, coming from shame and all that into the Christian walk, dealing with my shame, I, I became very prideful. I, I, I got this sense of religious pride. And this next one is no one else is worthy. In that, God showed me, God showed me this picture. And in the picture, I was, I was holding this vase. And it was beautiful. And I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. It's so pretty. And it was like God was telling me, this is how you view yourself. But as I was holding it, the vase dropped and it shattered and it was broken and it was dirty. And he said, this is, this is you. You're broken. And in my, in, my, in my mindset, I was holding other people up to the same standard that I was holding myself up to in, in my own pride. And I wasn't that. You know, God had been doing a lot of good things. God had taken me from absolutely nothing to uh, a, a person of society. You know, actually a citizen or whatever. But it wasn't until God had showed me. He, he shows me these things in correction a lot of times. So this, this says no one else is worthy. Uh, Romans twelve three says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. That's what I was doing. That's what a lot of us do. We think so highly of ourselves. Look at me, follow all the rules. Well, really, it is God's strength that, God's strength through the Holy Spirit and power that, that gives us the capability to walk in love and compassion. But if we're lacking in that love and compassion and we're just walking in the rules, a lot of us will you look at how beautiful and good I'm doing. It, it's... It's basically a Pharisee mindset. Look at me do these rules. Look at how good I'm doing in this Christian walk. A, a relational thing here. 
my wife and I, when we got together and we, we got through treatment, I was very much the, the no one else is worthy. And Katie was very much, I'm not worthy. And so in our relationship, what happened is she didn't feel worthy to speak up. And I didn't feel like anything, anybody was doing anything right. And so I was correcting, controlling all the time. And Katie was hurting and getting beat down and just beating her down further all the time. I was growing in frustration and anger and all this stuff. And, and again, God showed me a picture and, and corrected me. It's a picture of a bonsai tree. This bonsai tree was tied down and it was cut back. And it, again, I thought, man, that's a cool looking tree. It looks really pretty. And God said, this is what you're doing to your wife. He says, I want to grow her into a, a huge blossoming tree so the birds can rest in the branches. And I thought, okay, that's cool. And about three days later, Katie talked to me and said, you're being too controlling. And she said that was one of the hardest talks she's ever had to have. But I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for that and for everything God is doing in her life. And the, the more I release and let go, the, the more God will, will grow my wife and other people. The more I pray and trust God and listen for his word to share and his, <clears throat> his actions to do, <clears throat> the more people will grow that we're working with. I, I spent a lot of time working with people in recovery early on and was just like, like beat my head against a brick wall because I was trying to fix people. I was trying to do it. And it don't work, right? It don't work. It don't work. But as we grow, as those of us who don't feel worthy to speak up start saying, you know, I should say something, I'm going to say something. And those of us who say that, no one else is worthy, and I've got to say something to correct them. And we start relinquishing that control and, and knowing that we are broken. We are, we are doing the very same things that we're condemning and judging other people for. Then there's freedom. There's also the loner. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates, his, separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. I think this is one of the, the biggest lies of the enemy. And this is something that the enemy tries to put on me all the time. And, and I'm, I'm, it's easy to believe it. It's easy when everything is in turmoil and we go through those seasons where it seems like everybody is turning on us. You know, and it, it's just a hard season or whatever it might be. I, I don't fully know. But feeling all alone, like I'm a loner and I'm just going to shut off and I'm just going to be that loner. I'm just going to walk it out. And, and what the word says is that is a, a, against the will of God. He seeks his own desire and quarrels against sound wisdom. God says it's not good that we should be alone. It's not easy to cultivate deep and meaningful relationships. But it is God's purpose for us. Which brings us to our next point. God uses relationships to sanctify us. <clears throat> As we saw earlier, <clears throat> or talked about earlier, the, the child, when left to their own devices, will formulate all kind of reasons for the feelings they have and magical ideas about the world, or I feel this way. Like, for instance, I was talking to a, a child, and she said, I started feeling real sick all of a sudden. It was about, she was about to do something to step out. And I said, well, was it uh, a little bit of nervousness and stress? She said, no, I was like I was getting sick in my stomach. I said, well, maybe that was because of, of fear, you know, and stress. And so what's really cool is what happens in that moment is that 
our, our brains integrate. We've got an emotional side and a, and a word thinking side. They actually wire together when we can put words to emotion, uh, words to how, how we feel. And it, our brain changes shapes. So we get more wrinkles in it, which is pretty cool. We want wrinkles in our brain, not in our face. <clears throat> so God, God uses these relationships. God uses one another. God's not just going to sanctify us by coming and listening to a preacher preach every Sunday and sit through a worship service. There, there's a, a part of it that is a part of that. Uh, small groups are not going to get the, the full depth and all that working in that God wants to do. But with all of it together, the church, <clears throat> meeting in homes and breaking bread, discipleship, and real deal relationships, friendships, where we can talk about what's hurting. Where we can voice that <clears throat> without being judged, without having somebody else go and slander and gossip. But be open with one another. Loving, bearing one another's burdens. And when a, when a brother or sister is in sin, restoring them gently. Not rejecting them. Restoring, restoration, reconciliation. God is about bringing people together and multiplying. Satan is about division. Satan is about breaking down families, breaking up the church, breaking up friendships and homes and marriages. God is about healing. <clears throat> Sorry. That, that brings us to our next point, which is the, the four stages of a relationship. That's form, storm, norm, and perform. These are the four stages of a relationship. Form is the initial stage. That's where all that awkward feeling stuff comes from. Getting to know somebody, maybe, all right, I got somebody on my mind and on my heart. Maybe we should go out for lunch or invite them into my home. And it's kind of awkward feeling. You know, you're sitting there at the lunch table and there's not really anything to talk about. You're thinking, oh, what should I say? I'm going to feel silly if I say something. I'm going to need to say something. Uh, so what do you do for a living, you know, or, or whatever. And start just talking, just getting to know each other. What, what do you like to laugh about? What do you like you cry about? Whatever. Da, 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 da. What kind of music do you like? Just the topical forming of a relationship, building that up, building the trust, getting to know one another. The next stage is the storm. The storm comes when there's a disagreement or, uh, again, back to form, Boundary setting a lot of times will happen in the form stage when we're healthy. Let's say a boundary is crossed. A storm starts in a relationship. <clears throat> this is the turmoil. This is, oh, they said this or they said that. We might have to work with, through our feelings with somebody else. You know what I mean? Uh, help to, to process these emotions we're feeling, to deal with any unforgiveness that we might have. And always in a redemptive way, never in a way to criticize or destroy another person. That is, that's a key part there. But in the storm stage, we're going to jump to the next point and then kind of jump back and, and, and continue on this relationship stages. In the storm stage, it's good to understand where anger come from, comes from. Anger comes from, this is our next point, hurt or hurt feelings, frustration, and fear. If somebody calls me stupid, that's going to hurt my feelings. If I don't identify those hurt feelings, a lot of times I'm going to get angry. And, and, and I'm going to get bored. Also, if I hit my finger with a hammer, a lot of times I'll get angry. I don't know how those are exactly tied together. But we can get angry when our feelings are hurt. When we don't get that position we've been wanting. When somebody ignores us. 
The second place anger comes from is frustration. Frustration at the home. I'm, I'm trying to do something in my family. We're trying to put something together and everything keeps falling apart. Everybody's got a bad attitude. It's very frustrating. I'm angry. Ha ha. And so then that anger just builds more anger with everybody else and more frustration with everybody else and her feelings come. But back from that, anger comes from hurt feelings, frustration, and fear, which is really interesting. If I'm afraid that... Um, Let's see, I've got jealousy issues, and I'm afraid my wife is attracted to somebody else. A lot of times, to cope with that, I will have anger. Anger at that person and anger at my wife, and that will voice itself by how I treat other people instead of dealing with the real issue of fear inside of me. Um, say I'm afraid I almost got an accident on the road. Caused me to get frustrated, but really I'm afraid. And so out of my fear, I've... Fuck the bird at this other guy or whatever. You know what I mean? Let's hope we're not flipping the birds at everybody. But that stuff happens out there. Horns get honked, you know. Tires get squealed. Fists get shaken. So anger comes from hurt, hurt feelings, frustration, and fear, which is what's in the storm stage of a relationship. Moving on to the next stage is norm. Now, it's good to know that a storm will come and go throughout relationships, especially if you're married. There's going to be lots of storms, and there's going to be periods of no storms. In friendships, we have storm stages. We disagree on things. In ministry relationships, we have storm stages. We disagree on things, but we can work through them. We can talk through them, especially when we have a deeper understanding of what all these things mean. The next stage is norm. This is where we move into a place of emotional intimacy with one another. When we're actually comfortable to share how I'm feeling. We've worked through a, a storm stage by saying, hey, man, you know, when you said that, it really hurt my feelings. And like, oh, I didn't know I hurt your feelings. You know, I'll, I'll try not to do it again. So the next stage is feel, we're talking about feelings. We're, we're working through the issues. We, we, we trust the other person. We know that we can, we can disagree and we can still move on and be friends. And we can still work through these inner things. The, the final stage is perform. Perform is where we can actually hold influence and influence one another. That means if I see my, my brother or sister and, and they're doing something and I'm like, hey, man, you know, that's not good, is it? And they say, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of influence there. Well, an outsider person without any relationship is just like um, some kind of rule. That's, a, that's another interesting thing I've learned. Uh, Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. That's a lot of times with, with children. But that perform stage can also be when I'm sharing my feelings on some, something with somebody and they say, well, have you thought about you know, this? Maybe this issue is, is like something you've been dealing with since you were a kid. And I say, huh, there's some influence there. We're influencing one another, helping one another through life, being together, doing life together, trusting one another, moving through the storms. Storms... Conflict actually will sanctify us. It, you know, uh, Romans 5.3 says that we can glory in tribulation because tribulation produces, trials and tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. So it's through these hard times in life that we really deal with our issues that surface. If life was all peachy and good and all of relationships were like, okay, how you doing? Let's get some coffee. And there was never any awkwardness or pain. Then we would never really have to deal with any of those 
things that come up out of us and just spew out on everybody. But in a real relationship, when we're working through those storms, we're holding each other accountable and we're saying, you know, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I, I want us to be friends. I like you. And it's hard to intentionally cultivate some of these relationships. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes purpose. It takes walking in God's will. <clears throat> and that brings us to an, our next point. We are accepted by God. That was the, the, the biggest light bulb that ever went in my, off of my head as far as relationships. To know that God loves me and accepts me. All my flaws... All the, the weird things that I do or whatever, I don't like my eyebrows. You know, God, God likes me and accepts me and loves me. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't say, come here and be perfect and then I'm going to love you. God doesn't say, deal with all that junk and come to me and then I'll love you. God says, I died for you while you were a sinner. Turn to me. You're accepted. Turn to me. You're accepted. You're loved. You are accepted by God. All those things that you or I are ashamed of on the inside, God knows and he's good. He's not like, oh, Charlie's doing that weird thing where he like picks his nose a little bit or whatever, you know. Uh, God's not doing that. He's, he's like, that's my boy. You know, watch him preach. Watch him get up there and whatever, do his stuff and. I love him. I love her. God loves you. He accepts you. He's there with you. Our next point. When we value people, we will listen to what they have to say. When we value people, we will listen to what they have to say. Part of that is, is, is value. Understanding love. Uh, Stone and I were talking about the difference between a, a worldly love, the love of green beans... And the love of a person. We love green beans and we devour them. And I say, I love green beans, but if it comes breakfast time, I'm not feeling like having green beans. It's conditional. But the agape love that, that God calls us to is an unconditional love for our brother and our sister. A love that says, even though you're messing up or whatever, or you got all these issues, I still love you and I value you. And in that, we can listen to people and see what they have to say and, and care about who they are and what they're going through. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It, we're not going to dissect that scripture, which I love. I love that verse. But God's will is that we listen to one another. Our next point, at all times be open to God through continual prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. This doesn't mean that in the middle of a relation, you know, talking to our friends, say, oh God, you know, please give me my sins. Help me to um, know what to say. All right, I got your word. It's, it's basically being in, in constant connection with God and communion, listening to Him. He wants to be part of our relationships. It, it, the Bible says wherever... Two or three gather in my name. I'm in the midst of them. The, the Bible also says that Jesus says that I will not leave you nor forsake you nor abandon you. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. God is here with us in all that we do in all of our relationships. We want to be open to God through continual prayer. Next point. Almost done. It says I can trust God with my heart. 
This is very, very, very important. Psalms 56, Psalm 56, 3 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Fear is a lot of the things that drive us to wall ourselves off from other people. I'm afraid that if I open up about who I am, that you won't accept me. I'm afraid that if I open up about my issues, that you won't, not only won't accept me, but you'll reject me and talk bad to everyone else. It's fear. But we have to know that we can trust our heart with God. And that He will bring us to a place in Him that we know we're so accepted by Him that we can talk about our issues and work through our issues and trust Him with it. That's, that's faith. It's not just trusting God with my bank account. It's not just trusting God with my finances or my job or my family. It is trusting God with my very own heart. Our final point is don't give up. Don't give up. It's going to be awkward at times. It's going to be hard. You know, some of us are lucky to have people that are just kindred spirits. We just see eye to eye on things and it's easy going. Some of us just aren't. We have to really work hard at cultivating these deep relationships, especially us men. We really have to be intentional about it because it's so easy for us to just say, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to go to work. And we can compartmentalize it. We could just set it off to another side and not really deal with it. But we need to be very intentional to cultivate these relationships. In the life of Jesus, we can see that in Jesus' picture, there are different levels of relationships. He had um, friendships with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He also had a, a group of friends. It was James, John, Peter, and Paul. A discipleship, but very open and, and deep relationship where they went places and, and shared things that all the others didn't really know about. There's also the relationship Jesus had with the rest of the twelve. There was still ministry and was still openness and, 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 and honesty. And then there were, there were relationships with everybody else. We don't have to be deep friends with everybody. But it is very, very important that we deal with our emotional isolation to become emotionally intimate with a group of people and work through these things. And when we're feeling tempted, say, hey, I am feeling tempted big time. You know, it's whatever the, the issue is, whether it be lust or anger or drugs or greed or slander or food or whatever the issue is to, to call that brother or sister in Christ and say, you know, I'm struggling and, and work through those feelings of, of, of what's causing that. Where that's coming from. Now, I know a lot of us deal with these issues. And a lot of us feel that burden of shame. Or, or may know that we have pride. We have pride and, and needs to be dealt with. We're just going to take a minute to open up the altars. And come forward and... and have Tony come up and play a song as we open up for prayer time and um, have some small group leaders on either side and Katie and I will be down in the middle. If you guys will just bow your heads and pray with me for a minute. Hi, 
Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.